Well, as you know, uh, Debbie was away this week from Thursday at a women's conference down in Wellington, so that was a whole lot of fun for our household uh, while she was away. You know, I think, uh, did, she, did she mention in the, in the um, e-news to pray for her? Oh, yeah, we mentioned in the e-news to pray for her. I kind of saw the e-news come through, and I had another read of it, and I was like, man, pray for her. Oh, what about me and the girls? It's <laughs> <She was> like... <laughs> Probably need the prayer more than she does, but, but that's all right. She's having a great time over there, um, catching up with some of the other Elam pastors and also uh, with some great speakers, international speakers. So thank you for uh, your prayers this uh, week. Uh, this morning we're in part two of our, our series in the Beatitudes out of Beatitudes. He's like that. It's tired and it's starting. My voice starting to go. <clears throat> um, out of Beatitudes in Matthew. 5 verses 3 to 11, and last Sunday we had a look at uh, verse 3 and unpacked uh, a little bit about what it is to be poor uh, in spirit and how uh, to be poor in spirit referred to being, uh, you know, being spiritually poor to the point that there was this sense of begging and realizing that we lack the means within ourselves to provide anything for ourselves or for anyone else uh, in the realm of the Spirit, and that we're totally dependent uh, on God's goodness uh, in this area. And we talked about how uh, it was the realizing, uh, it was realizing the worthlessness of our own, again, spiritual inability uh, to save ourselves. And so if you missed that last week, uh, jump online uh, and have a listen to that uh, message. I learned a lot um, putting that together, uh, and as always, I hope that uh, it added some insight uh, and some value to you for, for your life. But if you have your Bibles with you this morning, uh, we're looking at two more blessings found in Matthew uh, chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. And it reads this out of the uh, New King James Version. It says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for, again, your word. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who was a living example. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for his teaching and for his life uh, that leads us and guides us. And Lord, we just thank you again for who you are and for all that you've done in our lives. Uh, Lord, use me this morning, Father God, to fulfill your purpose and your will uh, in this place. Father God, uh, we just open our hearts to you so that, Lord, we may uh, receive from you afresh uh, this morning uh, for our lives. And so, Father God, we pray, uh, have your way uh, in our hearts, have your way in our lives, and have your way in this place that you may be glorified and magnified both now, here, and throughout the rest of the week. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> So we talked last week about how uh, these passages from Matthew chapter 5 through to 7, uh, I think it is, uh, are known as the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, the greatest sermon ever given by the greatest teacher, preacher, prophet uh, to ever walk the earth because he is the Messiah. Uh, Jesus was the promised Messiah uh, that was promised uh, throughout uh, Scripture and Excuse me. 
And so we're looking at the verses uh, at the beginning of that sermon that are known as the Beatitudes uh, or the Blessed Are Statements. And so we're going to take a look uh, firstly at verse 4, getting straight into it this morning, which says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they uh, shall be comforted. So the dictionary gives us two uh, meanings for this word mourn. The first one is this, to feel or show sorrow for the death of someone, typically by following conventions such as the wearing of black clothes. So that's the first description that's given for uh, mourning. Uh, The second is uh, this one, to feel regret or to feel sadness about the loss or disappearance of something. Do you know, whenever I kind of hear the word mourn, I automatically think about that first meaning. So when we uh, lost a dad suddenly uh, about 11 years ago, as a family, we went through that whole cultural process of mourning and grieving dad's loss. And so every day for the entire week, uh, up until dad's funeral, the, the body came to the house and it sat, the casket sat open in the house uh, the whole day while family and friends all came and visited. They came and sat, they came and cried, um, and they came and, and caught up, and we all just talked about dad. Uh, and so that was uh, part of the grieving process. And then up until uh, the last day where the body stayed in the house all night, and then myself and uh, my brothers and other members of the family slept in the same room uh, with, with, with dad and with the casket open. In a sense, uh, for us, it was our last night with him um, before uh, he was buried. And so that's a process uh, of mourning and grieving that we kind of went through, and it's, and it's one that kind of begins and then for many people continues long after we've had the funeral as you kind of adjust to doing life without uh, your loved ones. And for, for many people, that kind of looks different. Uh, the, the, season, the time of grieving and the time of mourning, how long it takes, it looks different uh, for every person. And I think for most of us, Uh, And for most people, uh, we would probably think of some sort of experience like that when we hear the word mourn. So whenever we hear the word mourn, that's the kind of experience that we uh, naturally gravitate to. Uh, But in my study of of this verse, it's kind of led me to kind of see that the second meaning of the word that we find here more accurately describes what Jesus was trying to say. The second meaning probably more accurately communicates what Jesus meant. And here's that meaning again, to feel regret or feel sadness about something. To feel regret or feel sadness about something. Keeping in the theme Uh, Keeping in the theme of spiritual blessedness. So we talked about uh, being spiritually poor. And and keeping in this theme of spiritual blessedness that Jesus started out with in term three. Um, I believe that this morning that is spoken about in this verse uh, is a morning that comes due to grief over sin. That's quite a big statement. But the mourning that comes is due to grief, is this kind of regret and conviction or this kind of sadness 
that is due to sin. In James 4, verse 8 to 9, it says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, complete opposite of what we think would be normal. Because even this morning we sang, Let your gloom be turned to joy and your laughter and your sadness uh, to laughter. But in this verse, James is calling on Christians to show some grief, mourning, and weeping over their sin. He's saying that sin is not something that we can just kind of, it's not a laughing matter that we just kind of dismiss. He's saying that it's something that we should feel a certain sort of conviction about, that we should feel a certain uh, amount of regret for, and it's not something that we should find joy in to live that way, but it's something that we need to see as harmful um, to us and harmful to others. And so mourn, to mourn here, uh, I want to suggest this to express a deep grief and mourning, or put it another way, to to, to to express a sensitivity, some sort of sensitivity over sin. First of all, our own sin, and then secondly, the sin that is in our world. How often has anyone done that? And I think Jesus is reminding his disciples, us included, that we cannot seek happiness uh, in the ways of the world. We cannot seek happiness through uh, selfish uh, ambition, through self-justification, or in sinful behavior uh, that we try to justify even knowing that it's going against the teaching and the will of God uh, in our lives and the way that God wants us to live. And so I want to suggest again that this morning, uh, for us, uh, mourning is uh, to see the sin that is in our hearts, to feel a level of regret and conviction about it, not just to be okay with it, but to feel a level of regret and conviction about it, never taking for granted the grace and mercy of God. And then secondly, to see the sin that is in the world, to see what we see going on, uh, not only in our nation, but around the world, and to have a sense of sadness about it, and to not just turn our back, as if it doesn't affect us, but to have a sense of mourning over the disappearance of godly morals and godly standards in our world. It's pretty hard hitting to start the morning off, isn't it? But the blessing the blessing that flows from that place. 
blessed are the blessed are those who mourn. The blessing that flows from that place of regret, that place of conviction uh, and sadness, is that whatever we're dealing with, whatever you're dealing with, however sad things in the world may seem to us, however bad we think things are looking, uh, however bad personally we might think we're struggling, Jesus is always saying, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. You can say amen to that this morning. James 8, verse 8. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now our morning leads us, this is where our morning leads us to. The sense of conviction, the sense of sadness. It leads us to cry out to God. It leads us to cry out to God and to draw near to him. You know, as I was preparing this point this morning, the picture that I had was was when God spoke to Moses through a burning bush. And God says, Moses, you're gonna go and you're gonna set my people free. And one of the reasons why God said that is because he said he'd heard the cry of his people. People who are mourning their situation. And so as you draw near to God, uh, as we draw near to God in our mourning, the promise that we get there, uh, as well as the blessing, is that we shall be comforted. We shall be comforted. Amen. Secondly, this morning, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I'm pretty sure this one's not as heavy as the last one, so you can all relax. So I found this, uh, I found this quite an interesting one to, to kind of look into because uh, I, I think that I had a personal connection to uh, especially this word meek. And so the, the word meek is defined as gentle, quiet, easily imposed on. Oh, who likes to ever be told they're easily imposed on? Um, and submissive. And, you know, as an introvert who has been tested twice as an co- extreme introvert, as an introvert uh, through school, I, I considered myself um, to be very timid and to be quite insignificant. You know, I considered myself uh, to be, um, you know, someone who was easily led, someone who was easily imposed on for years, even after school. And it kind of led me to read a passage like this and go, yes, I'm blessed. I'm easily led. I'm submissive. It wasn't the right sort of submissive, by the way. And it wasn't always being led by the right people. I used to go, yeah, I'm blessed because all these three things explained who I was. And so the word meek kind of summed that up for me. 
And the, underli- the underlining thought, you know, around the use of this word meek, uh, which I've discovered is not just, it wasn't just me, it's actually in society now, the underlying thought around the word meek and meekness uh, these days is that it implies weakness. Who understands that? And the association between those two words. But can I tell you this morning, church, whenever you read the word meek, whenever you read the word meekness, whenever you read the word gentleness and humility, now gentleness and humility in, uh, in the more recent translations are two words that were used in place of meek quite often. But whenever you read those two words, Uh, in Scripture, and whenever you see them uh, used there, they have nothing to do with weakness or timidity. Absolutely nothing to do with weakness or timidity. The Greek form of the word, uh, most people admit, is very difficult to translate, which is where part of the problem has come about. But the root word prao, which uh, means a whole lot more than meek, as it's described in the, in the English dictionary, uh, has this sense of exercising God's strength. Exercising God's strength while being under God's control. Exercising God's strength while being under God's control. And uh, obviously, Uh, In today's world, uh, the meaning of the word meek lacks that blend and that mix of those two ideas, that there is strength, uh, but then there is also control. And so it was normal normal in ancient times for ancient kings to use the word meek as it relates to themselves in the same sentence that they would use the word king and mighty ruler. So they would use the word meek in the same way that they would use the words that I'm strong. Meek and strong. It wasn't weak. It was just this underlining strength through anything that was going on. And so where these days uh, meekness is viewed as a negative trait, uh, in biblical times, it was a virtue of kings. When you read your Bible and you read the word meek, that was a virtue of kings. You know, in Matthew 11, verse 28 to 29, Jesus says, uh, and we've heard a part of this verse already, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is out of the King James Version. He goes on to say, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find strength unto your soul. So Jesus, speaking of himself, describes himself as meek. And we all know that there is nothing weak about Jesus. Amen? And so meekness is not weakness. Everyone say, meekness is not weakness. But I think it can be more adequately described as godly strength 
that is held by those who, through whatever life experience, through whatever's going through life, uh, through whatever trials we may be kind of finding ourselves in, whatever hardships, it's having that strength to still exercise gentleness, to still exercise humility, to still exercise the love of God to those around us. You know, spiritually, it's that strength and that foundation that is planted in God's word. It's that strength and that foundation that's planted in the family of God and uh, that's planted in God's kingdom through every wind of change and every storm uh, that comes to life. Now, Matthew 7, verse 24 to 25 says, Anyone who listens to me, again, this is Jesus speaking. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows me is a, follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the wind beats against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. Strength under control. Strength in submission to God's gentleness and God's humility. I'm going to get the worship team to come this morning. You know, as we come to a close... Uh, and as we kind of again sing and just meditate on these words, uh, let's come with a heart that desires to mourn with godly conviction over our failings and over our sin, be it pride, be it hate, be it temptation. knowing that we can come to him for comfort and forgiveness. And let's remain meek in our submission to God, walking in his strength and under his control and standing strongly and firmly as people of God wherever we go, amen. Strongly, while still being humble, and still being gentle. Why don't we stand this morning?